tonight uh, I'd like to talk about the body. The body. I'm wondering what comes up in your mind when you think of the body. Do you think of all its aches and pains? Do you think of the picture, the picture of your body? Is it the internal experience of aliveness? Is it aches, pains? Is it what is it? Anybody? I'm curious before I get into it. What do you think of when you think of the body? What immediately comes to mind? Please. Pleasure and pain. Okay. Anyone else? Please. Mostly pain? <laughs> okay. That's a good start. Please. Place or location. Beautiful. Okay, it's a very. It's shape. Okay. So much goes on in our minds about our bodies. Uh, And it turns out that in the teachings of the Buddha, the really the center of our practice, the center of the practice of awakening, is. According to the Buddha, mindfulness directed to the body. It doesn't sound very sexy, does it? It doesn't sound very transcendent. It doesn't sound very illuminated, exotic. But it is really the heart of our practice. I wanted to begin by sharing a sutra from the Buddha just to emphasize my point. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya, which is the numbered sutras of the Buddha. Very simple. It's called mindfulness directed to the body. Even as one who encompasses with his mind the mighty ocean includes thereby all the rivulets that run into the ocean, just so, O monks... Whoever develops and cultivates mindfulness directed to the body includes thereby all the wholesome states that partake of supreme knowledge. One thing, O monks and lay people. Monks really is the general term for practitioners. So don't think that that you have to be a monastic to hear this sutta. One thing, O monks, if developed and cultivated, leads to a strong sense of urgency, to great benefit, to great security from bondage, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of vision and knowledge, to a pleasant dwelling in this very life to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. If one thing, O monks, is developed and cultivated, the body is calmed. The mind is calmed. Discursive thoughts are quietened. And all wholesome states that partake of supreme knowledge reach fullness of development. 
What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. I could actually quit now. I'll continue though. If one thing, O monks, is developed and cultivated, ignorance is abandoned. Supreme knowledge arises. Delusion of self is given up. The underlying tendencies are eliminated and the fetters are discarded. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. Most of us don't really want to feel our bodies. We don't want to direct mindfulness to our bodies. So our bodies, in many cases, have been a source of, as I forgot your name in the back, but have been a source of pain. They have been the, the place that all of the upsets of our lives, the traumas, the frustrations, the anxiety and worry, the sense of suspended happiness, the sense of waiting and hoping and expecting, all of that has registered uh, dis-ease in our body. And consequently, the dis-ease has, has had the effect because of, of ignorance and because of uh, our mistaken sense of where we can find relief our tendency has been to go out of our bodies in search, go out of this moment in search. And, and this has actually further led to a sense of disconnection from our body, abandonment of our body. So the thought for many people, I, I think I can speak generally, is that to direct mindfulness to the body means to come back to what's a kind of wasteland of pain and uh, unfelt um, contractions. Today I was, partly because of my own mental tendencies, I was, well actually yesterday, I was called very dramatically back to uh, to more acute body awareness because I picked up my I bent over funny, picked up my daughter Molly, trying to have a good time with her, and my back went, it tweaked. And I have some kind of inflamed disc now in my back, and I'm, I'm uncomfortable. And that's why I brought the chair tonight. I wasn't sure I was going to make it on the cushion all evening. But nevertheless, it brought me back into an acute sense of the, of the pain of the physical body and the discomfort and the, the basic insecurity of being in our, in our body. The Buddha, in his, one of his little pithy teachings, said that in this fathom-long body lies the world, lies the... just will say that this is actually the first noble truth. In this fathom-long body lies the, lies the world. And I'll just stop a little uh, for a few moments here. In some ways this means anything you need to know about the world can be discovered in this fathom-long body. 
He goes on, in this fathom-long body lies the world, lies the cause of the world, lies the end of the world. And I'll get into that a little more later. And also in this fathom-long body lies the path to the end of this world. When the, when the Buddha talks about the world, we have this picture of the, of the world. This is the world. <laughs> now isn't it interesting, none of us, if it wasn't for the body, if it wasn't for this field of, of sensing that includes the doors of perception, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and, and the capacity to uh, comprehend that, we would not be able to appreciate, nor would we be able to react. And you notice, I I don't know, for one moment tonight, forgetting that it was kind of windy, I thought it might be an earthquake. Any of you have that momentary sense? And when I thought it was an earthquake, my first thought, first reaction, there was a little bit of a start in my body, and then a thought, hmm, could be an earthquake. Uh oh, and then there was oh I like earthquakes, and <laughs> but nevertheless there was a because I registered that experience, both body and mind it produced a feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, and a feeling tone was followed by a reaction of liking, disliking, or worry, and elaborated into some kind of worry, and and some then that all spawned some thinking about earthquakes and. What would happen if this, if this really was an earthquake? Anyway, see how far we can go from hearing, just hearing. So the world, when the Buddha says, in this fathom-long body lies the world, the only way that we know the world directly is through the world of the senses that depend on the body. No one has ever really experienced the world. Most of what we think of as the world is a picture that gets created in our mind called the world. And we tend to say, we, in our conventional communication, we say the world is crazy. The world is really messed up right now. The world is this, the world is that. I'm really having trouble with the world right now. But what we're talking about is something is a fabrication of our mind and it's beautiful that our mind can create this idea of the world but the only way we ever experience the world is in unfolding present moments of sense experience the only way we can even think and create and um, manifest this vision of the world as even crazy is because of this fathom long body because of this body so in one way there is no world how do you feel when you hear that there is no world other than as a picture in our mind but there is a world when we consider the world whatever your immediate experience is right now that is the world anything else is our imagination So in this fathom-long body lies the world. Our experience, even of of being here tonight, this 
experience that we only know through, through one of these so-called six doors of perception. This experience that we have moment by moment, it's really just a moment by moment thing. The last moment's gone, the next one hasn't happened. There's really just this one. That's how it is all the time. There's only this moment. There's only ever been this moment. Yet, because of the, of the, we could say, the law of karma or the law of cause and effect, the law of conditions coming together in the way that they do in our common mental reactions in these unfolding present moments, we have, we have developed into what uh, you, we could call suffering beings. We've developed into beings who experience in this, uh, in these, this physical experience, our experience of the world is painful. It's also exceedingly pleasurable. This is the world. Because the pain, the pleasure of the world is very fleeting, the painful part of the world is inevitable, then our, our sense of well-being, our sense of happiness, our sense of relief cannot be dependent on, um, on the world, our experience, being uh, always pleasant and easy to bear. What the Buddha described when he turned the wheel of the Dharma, he says, if you are born, I think I talked about it several weeks ago, that, that being born, the very definition of birth, it is, is the leading, it is the leading cause of stress, of that which is difficult to bear, pain, grief, frustrated desire, wounded pride, not getting what you want, not wanting what you get, separation, sickness, old age, death. That's what comes with the territory. This is the world. This world that we have to experience, especially the world that keeps spinning, our own, our own mental world that keeps spinning, that is constantly generating a version of, of reality that says, I can't be happy now. Any of you ever have that one? I will only be happy when I've, when I've reached the golden dream, when I've reached the end of my rainbow, when I have what I want, when I get rid of what I don't want, when I'm rich and famous, when I have name and fame, when I have, my body is free of all dis-ease, that world that we create, um, that world that we experience, is caused uh, by our body's reactions. So the, the, in this fathom-long body lies the world. In this fathom-long body lies the cause of the world. What does that mean, the cause of the world? The cause of the world is... I want to hear from you. What do you think the cause of the world is? What is the cause of our experience? Our perception. Our perception. 
Well, the Buddha said that the cause of this continual experience that we have of disease is a deeply conditioned pattern that registers in our body. It's actually part of our, some would say that it's part of our brain, the way our brain has developed. This deeply conditioned, both physical and mental pattern of, of wanting things to be different than the way they are. That expresses itself as a, of a feeling of dissatisfaction and craving. Craving, hunger, thirst, thirst for more, thirst for what's next, thirst for, for, for being someone, thirst for becoming someone, thirst for getting rid of someone. You know what I mean by that? Thirst for getting rid of. Thirst to stop being the way I am. Stop, stop having to even experience the way I experience things. Any of you ever have that desire for things to just stop? One of my teachers says that the, that's craving for, uh, for non-becoming, which is it's often described. He says this is precisely why we crave sleep. To such an extent, because it's that craving for non-becoming, that desire to make it all stop. All this happens, all of this craving, all this hurt, thirst, all this hunger, is experienced as a physical state of of thirst and dissatisfaction, a physical state of something is not right. Any of you ever have that? Something's not right. And it proliferates into, into a feeling state felt in the body that something is not right with me. It, it becomes a whole identity view. A whole view of myself. And you can think about it in our, in our culture the picture that we create of our, of our, uh, we have a picture of our bodies, for, let's say. We've seen the reflection of our body in the mirror. We've actually never seen our body. We've only seen a reflection in the mirror. We, we feel our bodies. We've only seen, when we see it in the mirror, it's just a, a picture. I find that, it's, it's always kind of blown my mind when I think about it. I have never actually seen it. I can't see it. I can see this that I call an arm, this hand, leg, chest, but I can't really see the body. You know what I mean? Does that kind of freak you out too? (laughs) In fact, all there is, all I really experience is this this visual field of, of, and this visual field of color and form and shape, and then I have all these feelings in the body. Anyway, there's all this stuff that I experience. But the picture that I will create in my mind is of the, the version in the mirror. And often that version in the mirror, because it's, uh, it's, Either it either looks good or it doesn't look good. It generates a whole personality view around uh, around the body, 
and especially when you see it start to sag and and start to lose its hair and start to you know do all kinds of strange things and especially the 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 visual part it's so easy to then start generating a feeling that there's it's not really very nice and because this body what we call the body this field of sensations is the source of the deepest sense of identification the deepest sense that i am this body when it reveals itself as not necessarily um, looking or even feeling like i the one i imagine myself to be wants it to look like there is a feeling of of frustration there's a feeling of wanting it to do be different there's a feeling of that, that then makes me depending on whether that identification is strong i'm talking about the cause of the world becoming depending on how much identification is i will be start to feel very insecure about this this body again i'm just talking about the picture of it now it's so interesting when i come back into the direct experience of it right now if you just come into the experience of your body forget that picture for a moment forget that idea of yourself as comparable to anyone else's body which is all about somebody that doesn't exist anyway it's just a picture come back into that direct experience then you're back into the world seeing hearing smelling tasting touching thinking it's not quite as bad is it but when i'm lost in that little picture that's generated by some of the visual experience and some of the inner experience i i become uh i get caught in this state of uh wanting things to be different than the way they are this is a uh rhymes with orange checklist to feeling pathetic and i'll just read the one that that uh came out at me tonight examine your face closely in the mirror notice all flaws choose someone and compare yourself unfavorably to them <laughs> well it goes on to all the all the different ways that we compare ourselves or put ourselves down disregard all compliments especially from people who supposedly love you <laughs> but again examine your face closely in the mirror notice all flaws so we're so caught in that picture and this is a this is how this is what causes the world causes this continual spinning in a in a web of of hope and weight and expectation and the the frustration that comes with that and the judgment the buddha went on to say in this fathom long body uh, comes the end of the world so the end of the world is any moment that we stop and we just experience things directly we don't call it a world we don't call it we step out of time we step out of that whole story of ourselves of being on this wheel of 
of life and we just step out of that tangle of fear thinking and we live as Rumi says we live in silence and we flow down and down and down in ever widening rings of being so that through this orientation toward this body we find the world first and our sense of identity we find the the cause of it which is the feeling of of upset and if we use our bodies if we orient ourselves to our body come right back to here and then simply let go let go of past let go of future let go of any ideas of the present let go of any idea of yourself having use this fathom long body to orient yourself here the world as we have known it ends the world as that drama that plays through our mind ends the world as the as all the all the pictures of the it's wonderful that we can think of i i've been just so um so moved by the the liberation movement in Egypt and the places where it seems to be taking root in the world right now in the world again that's all in my mind it is all in my mind and that, and it's very intoxicating to think of the world and i'm glad that i can but i can endlessly live in that world or i can find i can discover the end of the world the end of that for a moment a freedom from that um f- from that kind of um mistaken identity with my story with even the the bigger story of the world i can find an identity that is uh, not not bound up in that that's that's free that is timeless that is um it's hard to talk about I'd like to point there though please david it's the other liberation it's the other liberation movement exactly and that's why i'm talking about it tonight and finally just to, in that regard the liberation movement of stepping out of our um our drama stepping out of the world uh the buddha said in this fathom long body lies the path to the end of the world path to liberation this kind of inner liberation where one can come to an understanding within oneself that moves beyond the the eight worldly winds that i i know i spoke of last week that moves that is able to accommodate that understanding is able to accommodate the worldly winds of praise and blame of loss and gain and fame and shame and pleasure and pain somebody said early tonight pleasure and pain this body but there is an aspect of our consciousness that is what's often called in called the um that i'm thinking of the tibetan expression of dharma datu the the 
the element of the Dharma, the element of, of awakening that is beyond the, these, all these waves, these worldly winds that blow through our lives, and that we can actually touch that in any moment in this very life. So first and foremost, this path that leads to the end of the world, I hope, I don't know whether this language makes any sense to you, but this path that leads to the end of the world begins by mindfulness directed to our body. Mindfulness, it is the first foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha spoke about when he gave his famous sutra called the Maha Satipatthana Sutra, which is the sutra on the four foundations of mindfulness. The first foundation, directing your attention to the felt experience of your body. The felt experience of breathing, the felt experience of all the different elements of hardness and softness and pressure, burning and stabbing and itching, noticing when there is the presence of a sensation, notice when there's the absence of a sensation. That this orientation to the body, this bringing, gentle bringing our mind our attention that is often scattered and often living in the world of our imagination, bringing it to bear in the simplicity of the unfolding present moments in the felt experience, begins a beautiful, beautiful process, very painful process at times, beautiful process of bringing our mind and body together in harmony, bringing a sense of focus, steadiness, Bringing, making possible extraordinary, the extraordinary pleasure of a calm abiding and a very concentrating, concentrated abiding in our body, leading potentially, if you take it to heart and really do it, to what are called the rupa jhanas, the deep absorption states that where the body is the felt experience of the body is a body suffused with rapture, joy, pleasure, a sense of one-pointedness, a complete absence of any kind of frustration or hope or, or anxiety, a complete absence of that, at least temporarily. Such an experience that begin to, to begin, begin to melt away our tendency to want things to be different than the way they are, melt our tendency to want to be somewhere else other than where where we are, begin a process of really uh, embracing the very unfolding of our existence right as it is right now. Any of you interested in that? Not wanting to be somewhere else. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of my life being obsessed with what's next. Wanting to be somewhere else, get somewhere. A lot of life missing this, uh, this potential of complete harmony in this very moment. So this is the potential in terms of the joy of being in the body. I think maybe even more important is the potential for the, what the Buddha called the sure heart's release that can come through mindfulness directed to the body. Because if you really connect with your body, you will experience that it, you will experience its nature. You will experience life 
as it expresses itself through this body. You will know without any doubt that this body is in a constant state of change and flux. You will know it is not ultimately a reliable place to play to a, a reliable place to place your identity. An identity with the body starts to become uh, absurd in the face of its changing nature. This is why there's so much emphasis in the teaching on beginning a an experiential, also even a reflective process of the, of your mind beginning to loosening its identification with the body, loosening this constant sense of wanting to keep it young and beautiful, and, and this excessive um, fixation on youth. This is precisely what the Buddha pointed to again and again that it is what what binds us so dramatically in our life is what he called the pride that we have in youth. The pride that we have in our health, which is also unreliable, and the pride that we have in our life, which is unreliable. It changes. We get old. I was... I pulled out this list of statistics to help maybe in these last few minutes, loosen our identification with our body. I often save this for retreats, but I, figures like, I figured it would be an interesting thing to share with you. This is about... Oh, this is a retreat. That's right. We're in the middle of a 100-day retreat. Thank you for reminding me that. I'll just skip around a little bit. This is about the, the body doing its own thing. Every breath we inhale billions of atoms that end up as heart cells, kidney cells, brain cells, etc. The average adult is made up of 100 trillion cells. If you unwound and join the DNA from the genes of the cells, it would fit in an ice cube. The string would stretch 80 billion miles. That is from the earth to the sun and back again 400 times. The body gives birth to 100 billion red cells every day. Every square inch of the body is populated by 32 million bacteria that are born and die in it. Humans shed 600,000 particles of skin every hour, about 1.5 pounds a year. By age 70, an average person will lose 105 pounds of skin. Most dust particles in your house are made up of dead skin. <laughs> The body makes new stomach lining every five days. The body makes a new liver every six weeks. The body replaces a new head hair, head of hair every two to five years. The body replaces new eyebrows every three to five months. The body grows new skin once a month. The body replaces with new, a new skeleton every seven years. 50,000 of the cells in your body will die and be replaced with new cells all while you're listening to this sentence. Radioactive isotope studies show that the body replaces 98% of its atoms in less than one year. So in other words, at any given moment, parts of the body are appearing and disappearing. So if you think you are your physical body, which body are you talking about? The body you have today or the, is not the same as the one you had yesterday. So this is just a more informational thing about something that we can know directly.
in this we can experience in our body. I don't know where it's from. It's someone just passed it on to me. Internet. <laughs> so just a, a general appreciation that that uh, our bodies get old and they get sick. But the beautiful thing about them getting old and getting sick, today, just I, I wish I had an hour because this, this is a, I think it's a fun topic. You may be far gone by now. But I ran into an old chiropractor uh, that I used to see who has had several strokes and he's going blind. And he is, and you know, everyone deals with situations like this differently, but every one of us will be faced with something. And in his case, and I, and I think in most cases, where people open to their predicament, their physical predicament, the fact of their uh, aging, it has, at least in this person's case, it has turned them into this tremendously sweet tender, kind character, where before there was, this person was kind of filled with kind of gruffness and defenses and very, it was a very good uh, chiropractor and he can't practice now, but he, you can see that, that illness has really brought, has brought a sweetness to him and it, and I've seen this in so many cases that if we allow ourselves to be touched by the facts of our life, it liberates our heart from, our, from that pride in, in youth and pride in health and pride in life that makes us, into, it makes us so egoic and tight and so much caught in the comparing mind about our health or about our wealth or about anything. And just to... There's something very tenderizing about just experiencing life the way it is which is unreliable and insecure. And opening to our insecurity opens our hearts. Closing off to our insecurity makes us fearful and makes us, makes us very reactive. Anyway, I just had a really deep appreciation for this um, old friend today. And I see that these moments that I get a little wake-up call, have my little my own little bourgeois experience of a few few uh, uh, swollen discs I can see that it's I, I feel more vulnerable tonight I felt I almost felt as though I was when I started this evening I was shaking a little bit oh, okay this is like this my mind was kind of dull and life force was a bit diminished and that's how it is and we all get something so the body is a source of, it can be a great source of joy, it can be a source of great sorrow, but hopefully it opens our, our heart of compassion and we see, ultimately, we see through the illusion of self, which means we see through, we see that we cannot be defined by our body. Bodies will do their own thing. They are part of an interdependent, selfless process made up of the elements of, of life, uh, and really not in our control. 
It doesn't mean that we should not love these bodies. We should care for them. And that's part of why I wanted to talk about this during this 100-day retreat is one to hopefully have you rely on this wonderful anchor of the body, this wonderful uh, object of mindfulness, this wonderful anchor because it is always present and always immediate when it's here, but also as a way of... uh, of being a little bit less identified with our body, developing a little dispassion toward these bodies that in this, especially in our lives, in, the, in our conventional life, we tend to be obsessed with beautifying them. So maybe a few days don't, uh, don't, don't adorn them in the way that you normally do. Maybe don't get so caught up in them. It doesn't mean that... Uh, that you shouldn't adorn them every day. I think it's beautiful to adorn them and to take care of them and love them and feed them well. The Buddha found that if you don't feed them well, they don't work very well. Uh, So there's a middle way in this. And that's all I'm inviting you to consider tonight. So I think I'll end with something about the body. Maybe an ancient poem from Plutonius in the year 2005. Let the soul banish all that disturbs. Let the body that envelops it be still. And all the frettings of the body and all that surrounds it. Let earth and sea and air be still and heaven itself. And then let the body think of the spirit as streaming, pouring, rushing, and shining into it from all sides while it stands quiet. And and then let the body think of the spirit as streaming, pouring, rushing, and shining into it from all sides while it stands quiet. May all beings find home in their bodies. May all beings make peace with their bodies. May all beings forgive their bodies. May all beings let go into their body and of their body as a source of identity. May all beings be free. May all beings have outer freedom and all beings have inner freedom. And may our practice be dedicated tonight and every night to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all beings be free. So please, if you could hold on a moment, Anne Dietrich is going to make a short few short announcements. Please don't rush away. Thank you. Thank you all for practicing together and for those who came early for the social hour, our happiness hour. It's lovely to spend time with you. So this is a little Donna talk that I want to give about our practice and appreciating the time that we spend together. Um, how he teaches here each week um, just out of the generosity of loving the teachings and sharing it with us. So we practice dana as a way of um, 
supporting the Sangha and allowing the teaching to continue here. And dana is a, a really wonderful practice to take on for yourself on as well as with meditation. I find for myself that it it helps kind of break down some of those barriers and ways in which I feel separate or I feel as though I have to acquire more or have more. And so it's not a compulsory practice that we are asking you to take on, but just to touch into your heart and how you appreciate the teaching and give generously if you can. And there are other ways also of practicing dana, which would be helping us put things away, We actually need a few strong volunteers tonight to help move this massive, who knows what's stored in it, this altar that's over here. It's very, very heavy. I move it quite a lot by myself. Howie's Howie's a little injured tonight, so he can't move it. He does it frequently to prepare for the evening. So could anyone who is able-bodied and willing to help raise their hand? We might need about four people. One, two, three, four. Great. Perfect. So the Donna basket is over on the organ bench, and um, please feel free to give what you what you wish. And thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Anne. I just I I feel as though I have to add uh, that uh, part of the Donna she did say to support the song with Donna, and part of that means to support the room rental, which is $150 a week, and I'm saying at $600 a month. So any little extra that you can give to support the room rental is much appreciated, and there's many ways you can offer that as well. And if if you're interested in uh, having your uh, room rental. Uh, Donna be tax deductible you can make it out to the St. John Evangelist Church and put Mission Dharma on the memo line and it, it's tax deductible so thanks for your Donna and thank you Anne for uh, giving the Donna wrap thank you and the checks the checks would go also in the basket I take them Four people to get me off this cushion. Yeah. It's probably a chiropractor in the room, too. They could give you some chiropractic, Donna. We'll see if the Donna comes forward.
turned around the wrong way.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.